there, Bass. Been week's been going well so far. You know, some had a little excitement the other day. Yeah, when you're without water, you know things don't always seem real good. Hoyle's had a few little, few hours without water. That's one of the necessities of life is water. Good thing to have parents close. Matthew chapter 18, or not chapter 18, chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Very familiar passage. Of course, this is what we call the Great Commission. Great Commission is given to us five times in the scriptures. Matthew 28, Mark 16, uh, Luke 24, uh, John, um, somewhere in the end of John. And then Acts chapter 1, verse 8, basically. But anyway. Uh, somebody said. Anyway, so uh, so we're going to look at this tonight, and, I'm, and the title of the message is The Command of Baptism. We're going to look at baptism in particular. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Of course, there's not, there's, there is disagreement among professing Christians as to particulars about baptism. You know, some churches, some churches, I guess you call them churches, baptize infants. Uh, some baptize by pouring or sprinkling. But tonight we want to look at what the Bible says, what we believe the Bible teaches about this subject of baptism. So, first thing I want to notice is the command of baptism. Of course, Luke chapter 3 verse 8 uh, tells us that, that John the Baptist was commanded to be, them to be baptized. And then here in Matthew 28 verse 19, Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 2.38, when Peter preached his first sermon there, uh, day, uh, the day of Pentecost, then it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And verse 41 says, Then they, glad to receive his word, were baptized the same day that read it unto them about 3,000 souls. So, you know, we could go through, uh, uh, you know, we could look at other scriptures. Matthew 16, 16, Jesus commanded them to baptize. Uh, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. But, you know, there's many scriptures that teach that, uh, that God commands us that we ought to be baptized. That, that we ought to be baptized. And it also instructs us that the church is that which is authorized to baptize. Uh, here again in Matthew 28, Verse 19, speaking to his disciples, that's the first church, he says, Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now in John, John chapter 3, uh, in verse 22, it says, And after these things came Jesus' disciples in the land of Judea, there he tarried with them and baptized but we notice in John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. 
Now, so what the Bible is saying here is, you know, it says that Jesus baptized more disciples than John, but he didn't baptize. In other words, he didn't actually do it, but he authorized it. So it was the, the church was, you know, and he had authorized them to do the, 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 uh, the disciples to do the baptizing. Uh, I got a question for you. Was Philip a freelance baptizer? Okay, go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Now, I'm going on a rabbit trail, but follow my trail, okay? Because it has a, this train has a caboose. Now, hopefully it's not too long. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul was consenting unto this death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So, so many of the believers were scattered, except the apostles. They weren't scattered. They didn't leave. And then in verse um, 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And then verse 12 says, When they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, go to chapter 21, verse 8. Chapter 21, verse 8. Paul here, of course, Luke writing, he's the author of the book of Acts, but speaking about Paul, in Luke 21.8 it says this, And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, which was one of the seven and abode with him. Okay, so it says Philip the evangelist, and then it says who's one of the seven. Well, who? what seven? We'll go back to Acts chapter 6 and verse 5, and it explains who the seven were. Acts 6 and verse 5 says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and it chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And if you count them, there's seven. So Philip was one of those seven deacons at the church of Jerusalem, and when the persecution came, of course, they were scattered, and, and and now he's at Caesarea. Uh, but he was, again, sent out by the church at Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem authorized his baptism, him to baptize. In fact, if you read on in Acts chapter 8, you'll find that the pastor from Jerusalem comes down and confirms Philip's work, Peter. Peter and John came down, and, and they actually uh, confirmed Philip's work. So he was not a freelance baptizer. He was authorized by the church at Jerusalem. You see, it's the church that has the power of binding of or loosing, or who becomes a member or who doesn't. And that's very clear in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. So this, this, is, a, this is a church's authority. Matthew eighteen seventeen, And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he shall neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And again, I say unto you, that if you two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of them of my Father which is in heaven. So, so here the church has power of what it calls binding and loosing. So of 
of taking in a member or dismissing a member. So the church has the authority then to receive by baptism into its membership those who have been saved. So the church is the, the church's authority, again, it's the local church, has the authority to baptize. Church is, it's, it, it, we, we say, you know, we would say this way, baptism is an ordinance of the church, of the church. That power is not invested in man, it's invested in the church. Um, secondly, so we see the command of New Testament baptism. The custom, secondly, the custom or manner of New Testament baptism. The meaning of the word. And I'll look, three things here. Number one, the meaning of the word. The word, is, the Greek word, of course, the English word is baptize. It's really a transliteration. They didn't really change it much at all. It comes from the word baptizo, which means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. Uh, there's no words that mean pouring or sprinkling relating to baptism in the New Testament. They don't exist. I mean, they may be used, but they don't exist in relation to baptism. So it means, the word means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. And we see the practice, so that's the meaning. Then there's the practice in the New Testament. proves this. Um, for example, and again, let's, let's get down a rabbit trail. Mark chapter 1, verse 5. Mark chapter 1, verse 5. There went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. You drop down to verse 10. Straightway, coming up out of the water. So when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. Of course, out of the river Jordan. And he saw the heavens open the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. So, so you know, there was, there, he was baptizing in Jordan, and Jesus came up out of the water. And in John chapter 3 and verse 23... John 3 and verse 23, speaking about John the Baptist and his baptism, it says, And John also was baptizing in Enon near to Salem, because there was much water there. Now, it doesn't take a whole lot of water to pour a sprinkle. But it does take some water to, to immerse. It takes some water to immerse. He said, so that's where he was baptizing, because there was much water there. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 38, or, yeah, you have 38 chapters in the book of Acts, well, I don't see your Bible. Anyway, Acts chapter 8, verse 38, where Philip baptizes a eunuch, it says, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both into the water. Both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really care to get wet. Unless I'm swimming. Or getting a shower, then I don't mind. It's a perfectly good waste of water, but I do it. Uh, but I don't care to get wet, you know. So if I was going to baptize somebody and I didn't have to immerse them, I certainly wouldn't get in the water with them. They went both into the water. Why? Because he immersed him, he dipped him. So that's the practice of the New Testament. Wherever wherever it's described, that's the practice. And then thirdly. We see this customer manner proven by the testimony of history. Now, Pope Gregory the Great, born in 550 A.D., said this, and I quote, Let the priest baptize with immersion, unquote. Thomas Aquinas, 
who was Catholic, 13th century, said this, and I quote, It is safer to baptize by immersion because it is the general practice, unquote. John Calvin, reformer, quote, The very word baptize signifies to immerse, and it is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church, unquote. Martin Luther, again reformer, quote, Although the custom has gone out of use with most persons, yet they ought to be entirely immersed and immediately drawn out. The mode of baptism ought therefore to correspond with the significance of baptism so as to set forth a sure and full sign of it. Unquote. And then Dullinger, who was a German Catholic, said this, quote, Baptism by immersion continued to be the prevailing practice of the church as late as the 14th century. Unquote. Now, the interesting thing about all those statements I read you is, not one of them is Baptist. Not one of them is a Bible believer. Most of them didn't even practice baptism by immersion. But yet they admitted, <clears throat> excuse me, they admitted that the practice of the early church, or what the Bible teaches, is immersion. You know, John Calvin. Look, Martin Luther baptized infants. You know. Uh, now, how do they justify? So how, how in the world can a person justify infant baptism? Well, I got this from the Christ Reformed Church, a guy by the name of David, I guess you pronounce it Fedis or Feds. And this is what he said. The Bible tells of people, quote, bringing babies to Jesus, unquote. The Lord's inner circle of disciples rebuked the parents for bringing little ones. But what did Jesus do? When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and forbid them not. And, of course, it tells us that he took them in, their, in his arms and he blessed them. This story doesn't mention baptism. But it does say a great deal about the status of believers' babies. Jesus embraces and blesses babies of believing parents and says his kingdom belongs to such as these. How then can the church refuse them the sign of citizenship in God's kingdom and membership in his family? Am I confused? God's covenant, he goes on, God's covenant has always included not only believers but their children as well. 2,000 years ago, before Christ, God told Abraham, Genesis 7, 7, 17, 7, And I will establish my covenant between thee and thee, me and thee, and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, to thy seed after thee. And then he said, God's covenant included not only Abraham, but his household and his descendants. The Bible uses the word covenant more than 270 times, so it's obviously important. What does God mean when he speaks the covenant? A covenant is a relationship grounded promises and confirmed by a sign. And of course he goes on to say that sign was circumcision for Abraham. And then he says that sign for New Testament people is baptism. There's only a few problems with that. The covenant of promise can only be had. I'm talking about the Abraham covenant. Can only be had by faith. Go to Romans chapter 9.
you know, I had a had a friend that got off on this, and he he some he taught somehow that all Israel, every every last Jew, is going to be saved in the end. It's not true. Judas is in hell, and so are so are all the Pharisees, and they're going to be there for all eternity. Notice Romans chapter nine. And verse 6, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are, notice this statement, they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Now, what you think about what Paul's saying there? They are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, you remember, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees. If ye were the children of Abraham, you would. Notice, if ye were the children of Abraham, you would receive me. He didn't deny that they were physically the descendants of Abraham, but they weren't children of Abraham by faith. Therefore, they weren't true children of Abraham. But it says here in Isaac. Now, Isaac is the promised seed. Isaac is a type of Christ. So just as in Isaac, you know, you have a true blood Jew, in Christ, do you have a true child of Abraham? So the covenant promise is really, is only to those who received it by faith. Galatians, Galatians teaches the same thing, really. So putting baptism in the covenant of Abraham is, you know, it's like pulling oil and water together. I mean, come on. I mean, we could do that. You know, Matthew 27, 5 says, Judas went and hanged himself. Luke 10, 37 says, go and do thou likewise. <laughs> you see, we have not been given the liberty to handle the word of God this way. So to teach such a thing is presumptuous or, in my opinion, foolish. This is how they justify it. Infant baptism. Um, so, so we see here the, the custom and manner of baptism, of course, the meaning of the word, the practice, and the testimony of, his, of, of, of history. All right, number three. The candidate, the, new, the candidate for New Testament baptism. And, of course, we call it believer's baptism. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 again says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, and then Mark 16, 15, and 16. Mark 16, 15, and 16. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So when he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, he's talking about teaching them about the doctrines of salvation. Then you baptize them. And of course, Mark makes it very clean. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You know, John the Baptist made it very clear. It's those that were born again who were to be baptized. That's why he said to the religious leaders, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. In other words, he wouldn't baptize them until he was sure they were converted or they were saved. He would not baptize him. Um, 
Go to Acts chapter 8. Again, this is, this is you know, we could go to Acts chapter 2 uh, also, but Acts chapter 8, verses uh, 36 to 38, speaking to the, Phil- the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts 8, 36, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Um, of course, in chapter 8, verse 12, it says, When they believed Philip, preaching things concerning the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Again, this is, this is a pattern throughout the New Testament. Um, in Acts chapter 10, when Peter preaches to Cornelius and the company that are with him, it says, To him give all the prophets witness, Acts 10, 30, 43, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, and as many as came with Peter, because of that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any forbid, man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. You know, that's why we say when a person is getting baptized, upon the profession of your faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. So, so the, uh, it's, it's, we call it believer's baptism. Now, how, how do you get around that with infants? You know, I read one guy said, well, you know, Jesus wasn't that baptized to a 30th. So if you're going to be little, then you should, can't be baptized to your 30th. Does that mean you can't, can't baptize in a teenager? Ludicrous, you know. So they use that to justify infant baptism. But the candidate for New Testament baptism is a believer's baptism upon profession of faith. Then the fourth thing, the creed or the doctrine of New Testament baptism. Uh, Number one, it identifies one with the burial and resurrection of Christ. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism in the death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Uh, For if we have been planned together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So it identifies, you know, the message or the doctrine or what baptism teaches us is that we are identifying or believing or saying we believe in the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he was buried and he rose again the third day. So it's identifying. And, you know, that's, that's what the gospel is. is. You know, Paul said when he wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, I declare unto you the gospel that Christ 
you know, was buried, was, was, uh, buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So it's declaring that we have received or believe in Christ's sacrifice for us, that he was buried and that he rose again, giving us victory over death, hell, and the grave. So it identifies with the burial and resurrection of Christ. It's also a public testimony as receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, which really is a surrender, a burial of your own life, your own will, resurrecting to new life in Christ. And again, here in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, it says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism and death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So, so it pictures a surrender or a death to, or what I'm saying is I'm dying to myself, I'm laying myself aside, my life aside, and I'm, I'm living for Christ. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Never left I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. He said, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So you put off, you know, you go to Ephesians, he said you to put off the old man, put on the new man. So, so it's a picture of putting off my will, putting on his. See, as I said Sunday morning, salvation is more than just a change of mind about who Christ is, it's also a surrender of the will. It's a surrender of the will. It's a change of the will. And other methods destroy this meaning. You know, pouring and sprinkling destroy the meaning. They destroy it. What does it picture? Well, you got your head washed. Not very well washed to start with. But that's what, you know, I used to say I got dry cleaned at one point, you know. Um, but it destroys the meaning of what baptism pictures. You know, I've often wondered. So what, is that why the Catholic churches have crucifixes? It would go together. Because, you know, Biblical baptism pictures of resurrection. And they have these things hanging on all with Christ still on the cross. See, it, it, again, it destroys the picture of Christ's sacrifice, his death, and his burial and resurrection, uh, giving us victory over sin, death, and hell. So it is a public testimony. Uh, and thirdly, it's identifying with or joining or becoming a member of a body of Christ, his church. Again, Matthew, Matthew 28, 19, 
Then uh, he said, Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, lo, I am with you always, always, even unto the end of the world. So, so they were, he was to teach them by the doctrines of salvation. Then when they got saved, they were to be baptized. And then they were to continue teaching. How do you do that? You assemble together. And that is the pattern that's in the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Or Acts chapter 2, verse 41. <clears throat> Acts 2, 41. Then they that gladly received his word, so they got saved, they made profession, they were baptized. And the same day were added unto them, so they were added to the number, and we know that number was 120 from Acts chapter 1, verse what is it, verse 13 or 14, somewhere in there. So they added unto them about 3,000 souls, and then it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Verse 46 and they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So it's a, you know, baptism is identifying or joining with or becoming a member of the body of Christ. And by the way, the Jews understood this very well. They understood this very well. That is why, that is why the distribution of goods in Acts chapter 4 and 5. For a Jew to join a church, to be baptized and join a church, was to be cut off from family. It meant disinheritance. and, and, I, and that's why you have what you have happening in Acts chapter 4 and 5 when those who had means sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet and distributed those who had need because they lost what they had. You, know, you and I don't really understand this, but, but uh, I knew a, uh, there was a guy, last name was Shaw, and uh, he was in a pastor's fellowship and went to a couple times in Altoona, Pennsylvania, and he, when he got saved, he was a Jew, when he got saved, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't a problem. When he got saved, it wasn't a problem. But when he got baptized, his parents had a funeral service for him. As far as they were concerned, he was dead. It meant to be disinherited, to put out of the family. Um, so, so, so that's why you have what you have happening in Acts chapter 4 and 5 where, you know, Barnabas and then, of course, Ananias and Sapphira tried to emulate what Barnabas did. You know, and it had been okay if they hadn't lied about it. They could have kept part of it. It was theirs. They could have kept part of it, but they lied about it. Um, so, so it, you know, that's not a plan for the redistribution of wealth around the world. It's not what that is. No, it was just they had identified because they identified with a church by baptism, they were cut off. They were cut off. So, so we see then that, you know, baptism, of course, clearly taught in the New Testament, commanded by God. It, you know, we see its custom is, is immersion. Uh, we even we understand that even from testimony of history of those who, who would not practice uh, baptism by immersion. The candidate 
For baptism is one who has put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And, you know, and let, me, let me add this. You know, in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, Mark 16, 15 and 16, it says this. He said unto them, Go ye unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Now it says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You know what that tells me? If a person is truly born again, they ought to have a desire to get baptized. A person that refuses baptism it raises a big question mark over their salvation. Because it is, it, 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 you know, we often say it's the first step of obedience. You know, I know from my own life until I, I submitted to Baptism by immersion, you know, I didn't grow because I put it off for a while. Ah, I, I don't know if you need to do that. Pride, it's always. Uh, so, so the candidate is, of course, believer's baptism. It teaches us that we're identifying with the death, death, burial, resurrection of Christ. It's a public testimony of our having received the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So have you been scripturally baptized? Have you identified with a buried and resurrected Lord? Have you testified of God's grace in your life by salvation and a public testimony through baptism? It is God's command, and we need to obey it. Might God help us be faithful to keep the simple commands that he gives us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the simplicity and the truths of your word. And Lord, I pray you help us just be faithful, to be obedient to them, to all the commands you give us. And Lord, we pray that you just uh, help us to understand these truths. And Lord, if there's any that need to be baptized, I pray the Spirit of God continue to work in their lives and bring them to the place of obedience. Thank you again for your love for us, we pray in Jesus' name.